So Luke chapter 17, we're going to start with verse 5 and then read through verse 19. So Luke 17, 5 through 19, I'll read first in English and then grace in Spanish. It says, The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he, think the serv- does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed, where are, the, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So as I started to prepare this week, I knew that I was going to be traveling. We were flying to New Orleans on Wednesday. They were going to be coming back late Saturday night. I'm like, okay, I'm going to choose a, a small passage. I don't want to do a big passage. I want to do a small passage. This might be a little shorter message. And then as I got into it, and I actually started looking at verse 7 through 10, and I started looking outside of that, I'm like, I think I've got to do all of these together. I can't, I can't separate this. I was talking to Nate. She's like, just focus on those few verses. I'm like, but these verses before and these verses after, like, they completely, they go with this. And, and I don't think I've ever read it this way, but as I look at it and I study it, I'm like, this goes together. I can't not talk about these verses without talking about what's before and what's after, because it's, it's important. It's part of the same thought as Jesus was walking with His disciples and as He was teaching. And so this passage as a whole is about faith. And you guys know as we've taught on faith, as we've, we've, we've gone through the book of James and we learned that faith is not just belief. It's not that we just hear the Word of God and we believe the Word of God, but that faith is that we would actually be doers of the Word of God as well. Right? Regardless of the situation, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the outlook, what we think, how we think things are going to go, faith is believing the Word of God and we would act according to it because we know that God is going to give us a good result. God is going to care for us. God is going to provide. So we trust His Word and we act according to it. And that's what this is about. The entire Christian life is about faith. When we come to the Lord, it's by faith. Ephesians tells us it is by grace, through faith, that we're saved. That's how our Christian life starts. And then we know that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. As we grow and as we walk in the Christian life, it's through faith. And then the writer of Hebrews even goes so far and he says, without faith, we cannot please God. Faith is essential for the entire Christian life. And as the disciples are walking with Jesus, that's what's on their mind. They want to understand about faith. And we tend to think of it just in our own little lives. My faith, my life, what that means for me. But I think as we look at this, I want to look at that, but also consider what does that mean for us as a body? What does that mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us to have faith together as a family? It's required for us. We will not live out our mission 
we will not realize the vision without faith. We cannot do what God has asked us to do together as a body without faith. When we sat down the very first time, two years ago, those of you that were here, I was sitting there in the living room the first time that I shared, and I, I said, I, w- I want to cast this vision, I want to share with you guys what I think God wants us to do, what He's doing here, and what He wants us to participate in, in this neighborhood, and what that would look like amongst us. And I shared from Habakkuk 2, verse 2 through 4, and I want to read that now. I'll read in English and then Grace in Spanish. But I read this at our initial, our initial time together. It said, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. He hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So these last few days as we went to this conference, I thought a lot about this. Actually, one of the speakers brought up this verse, and it made me think about it. I was reflecting, okay, where, where was it that we started? Where have we been? What is God doing in the time that we've been here and as a time that we've come together as a body? And we were at this conference called CCDA. It's Christian Community Development Association. I wore this shirt, not because I wanted you guys to see it, but because I wanted to rub it into Isabel, because it says New Orleans on it, and I know she wants to go there very badly. But, I was thinking about this the entire time. I had gone there almost five years ago and kind of had this first, it's a ministry, it's a conference on what does it look like to be in an under-resourced neighborhood, to minister in an under-resourced community. That's what the entire conference is about and considering and talking through. And I'm like, are we participating in what God is doing here in this neighborhood. I'm considering that. I'm thinking about that. I'm like, okay, are we living out this mission that we've stated? Are we, are we proclaiming by word and deed the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ? Are we doing that together as a body? Are we any closer to this vision that, that was casted, this vision of being a reconciled both with God and reconciling with each other? Multi-ethnic, multi-class, multilingual gospel-centered community. Are we any closer to that than we were two years ago? And so I, I'm assessing and I'm, I'm grading in a sense and I'm thinking through that. I'm thinking about our past. I'm thinking about the present. I'm thinking about the future. And it's driving me crazy. I can't hear anything without considering that, without assessing what's going on, without thinking about how we're doing. Like, it was hard for me even just to receive and consider the information without, how are we doing? What's our grade? How's it, how's it going for us? Are we doing it right? Are we doing it wrong? Have we messed up? Absolutely. How many times have we messed up? Countless times over and over again. I hear different things like, oh, we did that wrong. I hear something else from another course or another class. Oh, we did that wrong. And I'm just thinking through that and it's bugging me. But I realized my question was not, where are we at? How are we doing? Is it right or is it wrong? My question that I kept coming back to was, do I believe? Do I have faith? Do I have faith that God is going to do what God has promised us? That God is at work here and that we can participate in that? Do I have faith that God has called us here and brought us together for this work that He has? Do I believe that? Do I believe His Word? And am I willing to respond to it and to continue in it? Do I believe this mission? Do I believe this vision? Do I believe that God will do it? And so I found myself saying, I need more faith. I need more faith. And I had studied this passage on the way down on the plane, 
And that's what I heard myself over and over again in each uh, workshop, in each session where there was a spirit. Like, I need more faith. I need more faith. God, give me more faith. And I could believe it all. I could consent to all the ideas. But to act on it, to continue, to continue doing what we're doing day after day after day, there are many days I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm through. This is enough of this. It's too hard. I'm too tired. It's too long. I'm done. But I'm like, God, I have to have faith to continue. And I think that's what the apostles were saying. That's what the disciples were saying to Jesus. They said, Lord, increase our faith. And then you see in verse 6, it said, And the Lord said, If you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed. They said, I want to add to, I want to increase my faith. And I always thought, and Jesus said, this is all you need. You don't need to add to your faith. You just need faith the size of a mustard seed. It was the smallest of seeds, but yet it resulted in the largest of plants. From the smallest seed came the biggest plant. And he says, that's all you need. Just this little, tiny, bit, piece of authentic faith. You don't add to it. It's going to multiply. It's going to grow. And as I studied this, I realized what God is saying, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, you don't need more faith. Your faith just needs to mature. Your faith needs to grow. All you need is this much faith, and then I will mature it. I will grow it. I will expand it. I will make it into something that's big and something that will do things that are impossible. But this is a process, this maturing, this developing of our faith. It takes a lot of time. And it is an active process. We have to be part of that process. It's not that I had this seed of faith and I came to know Jesus Christ and He saved me and it's been 10 years and just slowly, passively, without doing anything, this faith in me is just growing up. God says it's an active participation. It matures as we do the Word, right? I said that faith is not just hearing and knowing the Word of God, but that we would do the Word of God. And so as we do the Word of God, this faith in us begins to mature. We understand and we listen to the Word of God and we do it, and our faith matures. This faith that starts out like a mustard seed. And don't get me wrong, it matters tremendously, tremendously, tremendously what we believe. What we believe about God, we can say that's the most important thing about us. But if what we believe about God makes no difference in our lives, makes no difference in how we live, makes no difference in how we care for other people or how we serve Him, really, what do we believe? Does it make any difference? So we have to believe, and that belief has to translate into action, translates into doing, translates into our lives. How do we mature our faith as a church? How do we go through that process together, not just as individuals, but as a body? I'm thinking, what is it that we need to be about? What is it that we need to do? What does it mean to have this faith? And he says, if you had this faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And as I read this, I'm like, so... And the way I've always heard, okay, if we, we, if we do these impossible things, if we do these crazy things, if we do these unbelievable things, then our faith will grow. And then as I study this, and I'm looking back, and he says, no... If you have faith like this, then you could do this. He doesn't say do this to have faith. He says if you have faith like a mustard seed that grows and matures, then you'll do these things. The disciples wanted more faith. They said add to my faith. He says don't add to your faith. Your faith needs to grow. If your faith grows and your faith matures, then you'll do these incredible things. 
Alright, but we'll get to those incredible things. First, your faith has to mature. Your faith has to grow. And it doesn't grow and mature by doing incredible things. And He's going to show us, Jesus is going to show us, He's going to communicate the practice and the process of this maturing faith. What does it look like for our faith to mature? What does it look like for our faith to start off like a mustard seed and grow and grow and grow? And I will give you guys a warning. What He says, what He teaches, is not popular. I don't know that I've heard it regularly. It's seldom put into action. But I believe this is the Word of God. I believe this is what it says. And I believe if we're to have faith, then we need to go before the Word of God and we need to, as we understand it, do it. As we need to understand it, live it out. And so the big idea throughout this is that if we have authentic faith, it will mature through humble and joyful service to God. That's how our faith matures. Through humble and joyful service to God. Let me say it a different way. Real faith develops in us as we serve God from a position of humility and in response with joy. That's how our faith grows. That's how our faith develops as we serve. And as we do that, we'll recognize our purpose and we recognize or we remember our place. And that's what Jesus is going to show here. So first, let's recognize our purpose as we grow in faith. Look at verse 7. It says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare for supper, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded. If you look at this, there's a process. The, the servant is out in the field. The servant comes in. The servant then serves at the table and serves the master. He prepares this meal for him before he sits down at the table with him. There's still work to be done. So God doesn't save us and then send us straight to heaven. If you've been saved, you're still here. If you've been saved, we're waiting for that. Uh, we've got work to do. It's not done. Our faith has begun, but our faith is not mature. We're walking in that, and there's a process to live that out. There's still work to be done in our lives. God wants to change us. He wants to transform us. He wants us to be sanctified and to be changed. There's a process that's occurring in the church and us as a body that we would look more and more and more like the fullness of Christ in this neighborhood. That when people would look at this church, they would see Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing us. That's what He is transforming through this process as our faith grows. But faith is long-term obedience in the same direction. Here's the Word of God. I'm going to be faithful to the Word of God. I'm going to continue in this with the Word of God. I'm going to make step after step after step. Trust after trust after trust. This is what I understand. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I understand. This is how I'm going to respond. When we were sitting down with Andy, when he wanted to be baptized, one of the most things I wanted to make clear, I'm like, Andy, this is the first step of obedience. This is the first step. This is, you're starting a long journey. We're going to continue and continue and continue to have to choose and choose and choose to be obedient and respond. As you understand, you be obedient. As you understand, you respond. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to drop back. But you continue to go in the same direction over time, trusting God and being obedient to His Word. And so my question is, is your personal faith, is it maturing? Are you taking more and more steps of obedience? 
If your faith is maturing, you'll have a growing obedience. It doesn't mean you're completely obedient. We don't obedient. We don't wake up one day and we're completely obedient, but yet we're growing in obedience more and more and more. We're walking more and more. As we understand His ways, we're going to walk more and more in His ways. As we have understanding, we walk in it. And that's what a life of faith looks like. It's not stagnant. Okay? You don't come to faith, know Jesus Christ, and then just stand still. You don't just stand still spiritually. You don't stand still physically. You come to Jesus Christ and it changes your life. It moves in you. And you start to grow in that and walk in that. It's by grace through faith that we come to know Him. It's by grace through faith that we grow in Him. It's a long-term process. We were at the conference. And this was Trent and Bonnie's first time to go. And they go to the first class, the eight essential components of CCDA, like to, to, to describe like what is our, this philosophy of ministry that they're, they're communicating as the conference and what are the eight essential pieces of it. And we see Trent after the, after the class, he comes out and he's just got this big smile on his face. He's like, I can't believe the stuff they're saying, but you know what, Brett? You know what they just told me? He said, this, he says, you're under a long-term contract. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, they said it's going to take 15 years. He said, when you move into a neighborhood and when you try and do ministry in an under-resourced neighborhood, if you want something to last, if you want to raise up indigenous leaders, leaders from the neighborhood, people to come to Christ, communities to be transformed, at least 15 years. This is not short term. This is long term. And he's like, we got you under contract. You can't go anywhere. And I'm like, well, yeah, I knew that. I, I've been here two years, so that's 13 to go. He's like, no, 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 no. It starts right now. It starts right now. 15 years from now. All right? So that's my, that's my current contract. All right? It's for 15 years. He's like, this is going to be long-term. If we're going to be in this place, it's going to be a long-term commitment. We're not going to come here and make a few decisions and, and walk by faith for six months, and bam, God does everything He wants to do in this place. God wants us to continue to walk in faith step-by-step step in this neighborhood, and it's going to be a long-term process. So are you willing? Are you willing to be church-centered? Are you willing to be neighbor-focused long-term in this place with each other? And with our neighbors. Are you willing to walk in that and continue in that and to invest in that and to be faithful in that? Are you willing to do that? Even when someone here, your brother or sister offends you. Even when they do something nasty to you, are you willing to continue to walk, continue to be faithful? Are you willing to reconcile? Are you willing to follow when we make mistakes? Are you willing to go with and as we make mistakes as a body, are you willing to say, hey, we, we, we messed up? but let's continue to walk by faith. Are you willing when we serve our neighbors, when we care for our neighbors, when we love on our neighbors, and they don't care, and they don't respond, and they actually talk badly about you, when they curse you when you're not there, are you willing to continue on when they do not respond the way you think they should respond, when they, they don't seem worthy of what we're giving them, are you going to continue to be faithful? Because that's what it requires. It requires us over and over and over again for us as a body to continue to say, this is what we see, this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be long term, and this is what we're going to be about. It's not one decision. It's a daily decision. It's a weekly decision for you to come back here and participate with this body and sit in a hard plastic chair with fans blowing on you as we try and love this neighborhood. It's not going to be comfortable. But God calls us to serve. 
And that's my prayer, is that we would mature, our faith as a body would mature as we go through this long-term process and as we're obedient to Him and as we follow Him. That God would mature our faith. That we'd start out like this, but God is going to continue to grow us and grow us and grow us. Not adding to us, but taking this faith that He gave us and multiplying it and growing it. And so if it's a long-term process, what are we actually doing to be obedient. I can say, have faith. Come on, have faith. You guys got to have faith. And what, what exactly does that mean? That sounds kind of nebulous to me. What, is, what does that look like when we actually live that out? And not only is faith a process, but it's a practice. And as I see here, it's a practice of service. If you're going to grow in faith, you're going to practice service. That's the main thing you do with faith is you serve. And if you don't believe me, look back at the passage. As he tells this servant, he's like, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me. I brought you in from the field, but now I want you to serve me. And he says this idea of dress properly. He's actually talking and referring. It's the same word used when Jesus was at the table with his disciples and he stood up from the table and he took off his outer garment and he tied a towel, he tied a cloth around his waist and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash their feet. He begins to serve them. He, he dressed himself, he prepared himself, he, he girded himself to serve. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. Prepare yourself to serve me. What does it mean to serve? Literally, it's to attend and to wait upon to serve another's interest before my own. When we serve, we look at the Lord and we put His interest before our interest. We're going to wait upon Him. And as we serve each other, I'm going to put your interest before my interest and I'm going to wait upon you. That's what God calls us to do. That's what Jesus is saying to His disciples. He's saying, get dressed, get ready, because you're about to wait on me and you're about to wait on others. You're going to wait on the body and you're going to wait on your neighbors and you're going to serve them. This is what I have for you. You are a servant. Get ready to serve. Get dressed to serve. When we were getting ready to go to New Orleans, it always comes to the point where you have to pack bags. What are you going to take? What are we going to do? For me, I wear a size 14. How many pairs of shoes do I have to have, do I have to carry? Because if we're going to take a carry-on and I'm not going to pay the extra money for the extra baggage to be able to take on, I need to get down to as few pairs of shoes as possible. So where are we going to go? Are we going to be walking a lot? Are we going to be inside? Are we going to go out to eat dinner? Do I need dress shoes, casual shoes, flip-flops? I need to know what it is because... If I've got on flip-flops and I'm going to be walking all day, I should have brought my running shoes. I should have brought something more comfortable. I need to know what the situation is going to be and we need to prepare for it. And sometimes you just don't know. Sometimes you don't know what to prepare for and that's the worst feeling in the world. But Jesus doesn't leave us like that. He says, this is what you need to prepare for. This is what it looks like if you're going to have faith. You need to get ready. You need to get dressed. You need to pack. You need to be prepared to serve me. Are we ready? Are we ready to serve Him? Or are we all sitting here in our minds with flip-flops and shorts on? Are we here with our sleeves rolled up, with our work boots on, ready to work? Because God says, Jesus says, be ready to serve. 
We need to be prepared. That's what He has for us. If our faith is going to grow, we have to serve. And so I want you to ask yourself, am I ready to serve? Am I prepared to serve? Is my mind prepared? Is my heart prepared? Is my life prepared to serve? Am I willing and ready to do that? Because that's how our faith will grow. That's how our faith will mature. Is if we serve. And you might say, well, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I heard this, this grace by faith and I would go to heaven and I, I came here and, and I have this faith and I'm secured of heaven, but, but serving? I've got to be ready to work. I've got to be ready to do something to actually respond in my faith. And I would say yes. Look at verse 10. He says, So you also. He gave this example of this servant who's serving, being prepared to serve. And he says, So you also, talking to his disciples, he says, When you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. We've only done what's our duty. Serving is what we owe in a sense. It's our duty. It's what's required. It's, it's a priority. That's what God wants at first. Respond in service to me. Respond in service to each other. This should be a priority. It's not a leftover. It's not after I take care of everything else. After I get everything in order in my life and taking care of for me, then I serve God. Then I serve others. He's like, no, start with me. Serve me. Serve others. This is what I have for you. This is how your faith is going to grow. Do you trust me enough to serve me, to put my needs first, my wants first, and then to care for those others around you? Do you trust me enough to do that? Do you have faith? Do you believe my word? And you might be wrestling like, really, do I, do I owe God service? And I would just tell you, as you serve, sometimes do you expect payment? Do you expect something back? When you serve the body, do you want a, a good response? When you serve your neighbor, are you looking for some encouragement or them to respond in some way that will, that will affirm what you're doing? Because God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. God, if you are His, then He owns you. He says, I have purchased you, I have bought you, I have paid for you, I sent my son for you, and you are mine. That's the agreement. It's not a negotiation. I've looked through, I've tried to figure this out. There's no other way. That's the agreement. If you are following Him by faith, then you are His, and he, His needs, His purposes are your purposes. There's no negotiating with God. You didn't have to give something up for Him to give you this faith. You have nothing to give that He needs. And God gave of Himself completely for you. Think about that transaction. Think about that agreement. He did everything. We did nothing. By grace, through faith, He has saved us. By grace, through faith, He is growing us. By grace, through faith, we can please Him. God working in us. God doing that for us. This agreement is completely in our favor. If anybody wants an agreement, if you want to negotiate with God, you will lose. This is the best situation we could ever imagine, that we could ever dream of. We having nothing, God came to us and He did that for us. He gave us what we didn't have. He made the way for us. He did that all. And it's just by this faith, we would by faith respond to Him. And if we had any perspective on that, if we had any understanding of that, we would sit back and we would say, this is a sweet deal. 
the God of the universe who created me, pursued me. He sent his son on this earth to come and he sent his son to die. He sent his son on the cross in my place. He paid for my sins. He made a way for me. And all I have to do is receive him by grace through faith. That's a pretty sweet deal. Is it really a, a hardship to serve him? To put his desires before our desires, his needs before our needs, and to serve him in that way. When we were, sorry, all my illustrations are from New Orleans. But we would have to, because we were at a hotel, we didn't have a rental car, and we took a cab a few times. And about the third third time we got in a cab, we, the, the first few cab drivers typically were African Americans, and they were there in New Orleans, and they knew everything about the town. They knew everything where you go. You just tell them the name of a place, they would take you to it. You didn't have to know the address. You didn't have to know the directions. You didn't have to know anything about anything. Just tell them the name. They would take you there, and then they would give you a tour along the way and tell you all these things about New Orleans, and tell you about Katrina, and tell you about what this street corner and that building, and just they gave you this tour along the way. But then we got to, in the cab to go to dinner one night, and there was a white guy. And as he spoke, I realized he was European. And we sort of sit there, and he's fumbling in the front, and uh, he says, uh, you know, where do you, where do you want to go? And we told him the name of the restaurant, and he's like, I have no idea where that's at. Do you guys know the address? We're like, no, we don't know the address. We know it's down in the French Quarter, but that's it. And he's like, uh, okay, I have, I have GPS. We're going to look on my GPS, and, and we're going to figure this out. And he starts to put in the GPS, and he's like, how do you spell it? And we try to spell it out for him, and he puts it in the GPS. He's like, oh, okay, we've got it on the GPS. We're good to go. We're going to follow the GPS. And we start to ride, and, and he's a little awkward, and he, he's, as we turn, like everybody else was just real smooth and pulling out and in of traffic, and he's sort of looking both ways, and he's jerky as we ride. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm a little nervous riding with this guy. And Trent is always in the front seat because he's six foot seven. He can't sit in the back seat with us. And so Trent starts talking to the cab drivers. Every time we get in the cab, he's having this conversation. And he starts asking this guy, where are you from? What do you do? And so this guy had immigrated from Romania 12 years ago. And we found out that he had been working at a hospital for 12 years. And that he had just started being a cab driver two, two to three weeks ago. We looked on the, the date on the back of the seat, and you could see he's just been doing this for a couple weeks. And we're like, well, what? You were working in a hospital. What, what moved you to be a cab driver? Why are you driving cabs? And we found out in Romania, he was a physician. In Romania, he was a doctor. He was a radiologist. And when he came to the States, his license wasn't valid. And so he became a technician. He actually became to a hospital to serve doctors. That he was qualified. He was just as qualified. He, was, he knew just as much information, but he didn't have a U.S. license. And he has to go and he has to serve them. And he has to get films. And he has to run back and forth. And whatever they tell him to do, he has to do it without question. And so he spent 12 years doing that. And after 12 years, he had studied, he had taken his boards, and he had actually passed his boards. He was now going to be a licensed United States physician, a radiologist. And he's like, but the way the license works, once I have the license, I can't work as a technologist. I have to wait till my license is ready. So I've got eight months that I can't work as a technologist before I can actually go back and be a doctor. And when I go back to be a doctor, I have to be a resident. I used to train residents. I was the teacher of residents in Romania. And now I'm going to have to enter back into this after 12 years and be a resident and have them tell me again what to do when I used to teach them. He's like, but in the meantime, I'm driving cabs. 
He's like, I love people, I love the city, so I'm driving cabs. I've got to make ends meet. What else am I supposed to do? This is the process. This is what I'm going through. This is what I have to do. This is what I came from. This is what I'm doing now. But I trust. I'm going to go walk through this long process. I'm going to continue in it. I'm going to continue to trust it. And he was the happiest, most joyful cab driver we had the entire time we were there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, 12 years he's been serving these radiologists and he's a radiologist and now he's going to go to his residency? Like how did he go through that? And yet he has this joyful attitude. He had perspective. He was able to step back and he was able to look at the big picture. He's like, it's worth it. I was able to leave Romania. I'm here in the United States. It may take 12, it may take 13 years, but I will eventually be back and I'll be a physician again. I'll be able to treat, I'll be a radiologist again. It's all worth it. I'll drive cabs. Who cares? Let me do. I get to, he's telling us, I have to pick up these drunk girls in the French Quarter and take them back to their hotels and they don't even know who I am. They can't remember where they came from. He's like, but it's good. I'll just keep driving my cab. Is that our perspective? That we get to serve the God of the universe. We get to serve the God of the universe who pursued us, who died for us, who called us, who did everything for us. He restored us that we might be made right with Him. And if we had that perspective, if we stepped back just a little bit from our immediate lives and our immediate day, and we looked at that as a whole, we'd say this service to Him is no service at all. It's a privilege to serve the King of Kings. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to serve God who has done this for me. How can I complain? How can I get, get, get tired of doing what I'm doing and serving Him and serving others? Look at what He's done for me. We just need perspective. But why is that so difficult for us to realize? Why is it difficult for us to realize the privilege we have to serve Him and to serve others? Why do we forget? Why do we get off track so quickly? And I think it's because we don't remember our place. We don't remember who we are and where we've come from. In verse 10 it also says, it says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. I'm just doing my duty. I'm an unworthy servant. How many times a day do you think I'm an unworthy servant? I didn't think it. I haven't thought it yet this morning. I didn't think it yesterday. I'm an unworthy servant. Unworthy means useless. Literally good for nothing. That's what this word communicates. That's what we're to say. I'm an unworthy slave. I'm an unworthy servant. Servant is one who gives himself up to another's will. I'm devoted to another and I disregard my own interests. That sounds super harsh. It doesn't sound very attractive. It doesn't sound very encouraging. It actually sounds discouraging. It's not very me focused. And I thought through and I'm like, okay, what about what about believe in yourself? What about you can be anything you want to be? You can do anything you put your mind to. You can do those things. Those are not gospel-driven. Those are not gospel-motivated thoughts. Because if we go to the gospel, if it's gospel-driven, we have to start with the fact. As I've told you guys over and over and over again, we are more desperately sinful than we ever dared dream. 
We don't comprehend how sinful we are, how lost we are. And if we're desperately sinful, then we are useless. Then we are good for nothing. What worth are we if we're that sinful, if we're that far gone? But that's what we were. But God. But God. We are an unworthy servant, but God. Us being completely sinful, completely unworthy, completely useless, we're good for nothing, we couldn't even help ourselves, but God, by His grace and His mercy, He loved us. We're more amazingly loved than we ever imagined, than we ever could dream of. He became a servant and served us. He gave himself up for us. He devoted himself at the sake of his interests. He said, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to come and pursue you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to serve your needs and your purpose. I want to bring you in to my kingdom. I'm going to give myself for you. Let me serve you. And because he served us, now we have the freedom, the freedom to serve him. He's given us a true purpose. I can live to serve Him. I can live to glorify Him. It's not believe in yourself, but believe in Him. It's not you can be anything you want to be, but you can be everything that He has created you to be in Him. Your identity can be fully in Him. And it's not you can do anything you put your mind to, but you can do everything that He's called you to. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. It's not about me. It's about Him. We are servants. We are unworthy. But look at what He's done for us. He's loved us anyway. He served us. How could we not serve Him in response? It's our duty to love Him. It's our duty to love others. It's what He's commanded of us. It's what our faith would look like if it grows and it matures. And as we finish here, Jesus is not done. He tells them a story. He gives them this teaching. It's harsh. It's difficult. It's hard. He says, this is the way it's going to be. You've got to be a servant. But let me tell you, let me remind you of your place. Let me remind you of this process. And he gives this story as they're walking along. He says in verse 11, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And he lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Accept this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus was entering this village. As we talked about in Luke 14, he was on the outskirts. He was on the edges. He was on the hedges and the highways. Who were on the hedges and the highways? Those that have been cast out of society. The lepers, the outcasts, the, the far, the, the, the lost were there on the outside. And he approaches these ten lepers that were together because they had no one else to be with. And he says from a distance, from afar off, they approach him and they cry out. And they say, have mercy on us. They don't get close to him. They're far away. And they say, please have mercy on us. And Jesus responds... 
And he says, go to the priests and show them. Show yourselves to the priests. And realize that it says, as they were going, as they went, they were cleansed. He didn't say, you're healed, now go show yourselves to the priest. He said, go to the priest. And as they heard that, and as they heard his word, and they responded to his word, they were on their way to the priest. As they were going, they were healed. They responded in faith. They heard his word, they acted upon it, and they were healed. And they go to the priest. But as they're going, the one looks down, and the one realizes, look at what's happened to me. I've been cleansed. I've been healed. And it says he turns back. And listen, this time it's not from a far distance. This time he goes right up to Jesus. He has this this closeness to Jesus. But what does he do? He gets on his face at Jesus' feet. He lies prostrate before him, which is a position of a servant. He's like, I am here to serve you. You have called me in. I am with you. But I am down on my face and I am ready to serve you. This is my place. I'm in a prostate position. And it's a position of servitude. I'm, you have called me, you have healed me, and now I have come back and I am on my face before you. What, what, tell me what to do. I'm here to serve you. He remembered his place. He was the only one. And then Jesus tells us, not only was he a leper, but he was a Samaritan. It doesn't say that the others were Israelites, but they were lepers as well, and God healed them. God, they were outcasts, and God had healed them. Now they could be brought in. But this guy was not just a leper, but he was a Samaritan. He was the lowest of the low. He was a leprous, outcast, half-breed that no one wanted, that followed the wrong faith, and that was, as we've talked about, the Samaritan, that was completely hated. He understood who he was. He understood that he was unworthy. And he's the one that returned. He's the one that came back. And he's the one that put himself before Jesus' feet because he understood how unworthy he was. He recognized his purpose and he remembered his place. And it says it resulted in praise. He turned back praising God with a loud voice. He came to his feet and he worshipped him. You have a difficult time praising God. You have a difficult time coming back to Him, realizing who you are, and praising Him. The reason that we have such a hard time praising Him is because we don't understand who we are. We don't remember that we're undeserving. We don't remember that we're just servants and what God has done for us. If we realized that was our place, if we understood that was our purpose, we would be overwhelmed and we would want to just come to Him and serve Him. We would have joy and we would praise Him. This is a good situation. We couldn't have gotten off better. Most of us, though, are like the nine lepers. We get healed, we have this faith, we have this experience, and we go off on our own way. We don't come back, and we don't serve. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to have faith like a mustard seed, it's going to have to mature, it's going to have to grow, it's going to be a long-term process, and it's going to require step after step after step of trusting me. And I'm going to grow in you this faith. I'm going to take this faith that's the size of a mustard seed, I'm going to grow it into something amazing. And through that, I'm going to do incredible things. I'm going to do things that are impossible. But it is a long-term process, and you have to practice serving as you do it. And so as we were at the conference... This was rattling in my mind nonstop. Do I believe? Do I have faith? Am I willing to continue to serve? Am I willing to continue to do this? And there are days when I want to stop. Nidia shared this passage with me last week. She's like, what are we thinking? Why, why do we even go there? Why can't we just say, God, 
I'm an unworthy servant. Thank you so much that I get to serve you. Thank you so much that you have called me to participate in what you're doing. And I get to play this small part in your plan. If we had that perspective and we said, I'm an unworthy servant, we could serve with joy. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun all the time. It doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. But we could serve with joy. We could put his needs, his interests before ours. We could put others' interests, others' needs before ours. And that's what it would look like. But we play a small piece in this long process of God's story. And that's the thing that God had to tell me over and over again these last few days. Britt, Britt, this is what I'm doing through you. It's this tiny little thing. This is what I'm doing through Living Stones. It's this tiny little thing in this little place and part of the world. It's just a part of what I'm doing. It's just a part of my story. And this reflection that I want to share, as we go to the next slide, this was shared at the conference, and it, I needed it. And I think sometimes we need this because it talks about and we understand this process that's occurring and our place in this process. I need to understand what God is doing and I need to understand who I am in that plan, who I am in His work. And so I'm going to read this in English. Slowly, I want you guys just to read it with me on the screen, meditate through that. Then Grace is going to read in Spanish. And then we'll go right from that to praying together. And I want this time to be a response. I want this time to be a response of prayer that we would thank God that we get to serve Him. Thank God that He has invited us in. Thank God that, that there's, He's invited us to participate in what He's doing. That we are unworthy servants. We're just doing our duty. We're just doing what's required. And it is a privilege to do that. So let me read in English. And then Grace in Spanish. It says, it helps now and then to step back and to take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. We are ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own.